I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So then sudden death in the penalty shootout, and Chris Swales just needs to score to keep Rotherham in the tie. And it's been saved by Graham Stack. It's just one of them incidents that you just you never planned for it. And the game was still going on at the time. There was just a bit of a hush around the stadium. And then I've turned around and obviously the gates come, the gates being open. And ended up being confronted by two uh, two fellows, one obviously slightly more intoxicated than the other, but both physically um, ready to sort of have a punch up if you like. Um, and it just so happened I've defended myself as best as I could. Um, one of them's ended up on the floor and the other one's ended up sort of backpedalling. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of In Lockdown. Before we get to today's guest, uh, just a reminder that if you are enjoying these shows so far, that we'd love to hear your feedback. So leave a rating and review. And remember to subscribe as well so that you won't miss any future episodes. Today, we're in lockdown with Graham Stack. Graham was the understudy goalkeeper for the Invincible season. So he had a front row seat to Arsenal's greatest ever campaign. So Stacky, thanks for joining us. And how are you keeping at the moment without football? Um, I'm getting by. I'm managing, I must say. Um, I've got four kids that keep me very busy and uh, a wife of mine that keeps giving me endless lids of jobs to do around the house, which is, um, which is keeping me entertained and very busy. But, but no, I'm all good. I must say the weather has helped. Uh, the kids have been brilliant. So let's go back to the beginning then. Um, you weren't always a goalkeeper growing up, were you? You should be playing a few positions outfield. Yeah, it was, um, it was quite strange, really. Um, I mean, I played in various positions for my school, for my borough, for Surrey schools as a, as a young lad. Um, and where my family were publicans, we had a pub in Hounslow. Um, and during the school holidays, it was become quite a challenge, really, for my parents to, to keep me in and around that environment and trying to keep me sort of stimulated and busy. Uh, and I didn't really have a, have a love for goalkeeping at the time until um, I went on Bob Wilson's uh, football camps, which were residential courses you know, specifically for goalkeepers. And it was at the end of that that that, that Bob had contacted the club. So Bob, Bob spoke to Arsenal and, you know, at the end of um, the camp, I, I met David Seaman, again, sort of one of my sort of, sort of sporting heroes growing up. He presented me with a signed shirt, uh, which I still have to this day, uh, and the certificates and the pictures as well. Um, and it was Bob that actually contacted Arsenal and Bob sort of said, look, we've... 
they've got this young keeper here. Like, I really suggest we sort of take a closer look. He's you know, got ability and you know, he's a he's a real good kid and, and whatever else he said. And they said, okay, yeah. He's, I think he spoke to Steve Rowley. He said, okay, well, we'll have a cl- you know we'll have a look at him. What's his name? Where does he live? And he said, oh, his name's Graham Stack and he, he's from Hounslow. He plays for, uh, it must have been Middlesex schools at the time. And he went, that's funny. He went, we've got a Graham Stack here, but he's been playing central midfield. So they went, no, no, that can't be right. That can't be right. So Steve then phoned my parents and said, look, has, has, has Stacky been on the goalkeeping course? And they went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been there for the last three, four days. He went, Where's it? where does he play? And my mum and dad were like, well, we're not too sure yet. And he said, well, I've just had a phone conversation with Bob. And Bob said, he's a really good goalie. So Steve went, look, this is what we're going to have to do. So sort of moving forward, I trained at JVC, obviously at Highbury. And I would do a session in goal and I would do a session on pitch. Uh, and at the time, Pat, it was Ricey that was taking the youth team uh, and Geordie was taking um, an older group. Um, and I would sort of, I was with Alex Welsh, um, who was probably one of my first goalkeeping coaches, uh, who would take me in. And, and he was adamant I was going to be a goalie. Um, and then to speak to someone like Pat Rice, and Pat Rice was adamant I was going to be a good player. Um, but it sort of comes at a stage where I was playing. We used to play thirds. So I'd play a third in goal, a third on pitch, and I'd be sub for a third. And I remember my debut, I remember my first game. The first game was against West Ham, the second game was against Cholton. I played against Joe Cole. And uh, I played in central midfield and scored. And I think in the last third I played in goal, I let in three or four. And had a bit of a shocker. And then the following week I had a worldie in goal and had a nightmare on pitch. And rather than sort of turn and throwing, it was kind of a need to make a decision because it was probably unfair on me and, and the club just probably needed to sort of realise where, you know, where I was going to play. Um, and we sort of sat down with mum and dad and sort of dad said, look, as much as you love playing out on pitch, Bob, Wil- Bob Wilson seems to think you're going to be, you know, a really you know, cracking keeper. And I think we should take Bob's advice because Bob's a legend and Bob knows what he's talking about. Um, and I kind of just went with it and I was like, well, that's fine. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll be a goalie. Were you always, cause you're always a, a confident sort of bubbly character on the pitch and off the pitch. Were you like that as a youngster as well? Were you naturally confident growing up? Yeah. Well, I, I've always been, I've always been confident. I've always been very, um, very careful not to go, not to, not to be ignorant or arrogant. I think that's they're very bad qualities to have. I think you can be confident, but be careful not to be super confident or too confident. But I think you have to be confident in your own ability because, uh, I'm a big believer. If you don't believe in yourself, um, but you have to also back it up, which is obviously which is key. Um, but I remember one of my first first training sessions with the Arsenal first team, and it was at London Colney. Um, and my dad said to me, "You know, when you get the opportunity, you've got to grab it with both hands. <clears throat> don't change anything. You know, speak to players the way you would speak to your teammates. Don't be sort of overawed or, or you know, <clears throat> or, or scared." I thought, right, okay. So I remember training with Tony Adams and uh, we're playing a small side of game and I, I, I couldn't have been any older than 16. I must have been 16. I, I think I was an apprentice at the time um, and we were playing a small side of game and I was going, Tony left, right, get tighter, Tony, get tighter. Just cut the line off, Tony. And t- Tony turned around and went, he went, Stacky, he went, he went, I'm Tony Adams. He went, I'm captain of this football club. And I went, he went, I do the talking around here. And I thought, oh my God, I just got told off by the captain in my first session. <laughs> And I sort of like, it took me back a little bit. And then after the session, Tony pulled me and went, son, he went, I love you talking. He went, it's brilliant. He went, but he went, but that's my job. He went, I do that in this back four. And I went, no problem, Tony. Absolutely no problem. <laughs> but I'm sort yeah, of, understood. he sort of told me off. But it, it, but it was nice, the fact that he pulled me after. 
uh, and said to me, "Look, I love your confidence. I love the I love the fact that you want to talk and give information." He went, you know, that's he went, that's for a young lad to come and do that in their first session. I think that's what. Sort of blew Tony's mind a little bit, but I guess he would have done the same, wouldn't he? At that, at that he age. would have done, yeah. There's no doubt yeah. about it because that's the type of character he is, and that's the type of character I am. Let's move on a little bit to your your loan deal out in um, in Beveren because Arsenal had a link, didn't they, with the, yeah. the Belgian club Beveren at the time? And what, how was that uh, a learning experience for you over there? What what did that do for your career? Do you think? Well, it was in, it was an incredible experience, not just on the pitch, but but for me, it was a huge one off it because. At the, at the time, it was it, I was I was in a bit of a crossroads because I, I was needing to play games. I was needing to play competitive games, you know, that were going to challenge me and test me, and, and and play in front of larger crowds and 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 playing sort of a, a, a more of a competition, if you like. So playing in the Belgian top flight uh, at that age was you know was going to be a huge challenge. But also moving away from home and becoming independent um, in a different culture, a different environment. Uh, working with managers and coaches that have got different philosophies and different ways of working and um, and goalkeeping coaches and it, you know with with lads from different countries it was there was so much change um, it was a case of you know how am I going to sort of handle not just life on the pitch but life off it but no I mean it was an incredible year for me um, lots of publicity um, yeah I've got to ask you about one one incident I'm sure you know what I'm going to ask yeah. you about um... <laughs> against Antwerp wasn't it when there was a bit of fan trouble but I, I mean I don't know what if people realise this but you helped because of that incident they changed the rules didn't they afterwards on, on crowd trouble over there and actually some good came out of that didn't it yeah it did I mean it's listen it's one of them it's just one of them incidents that you just you never plan for it's very much off the cuff and it's very much sort of what you know you just deal with it as as you see fit as quickly as possible really it's not it's not something you can prepare for but it was um it was it was a derby if you like because it was like they're only sort of 10k from us uh i've got notorious sort of following um and i've had obviously issues in the past with with their hooligans and stuff like that and it was just a game we were, I mean, we were winning 3-1 i'd been absolutely i'd been hit by i couldn't tell you how many objects throughout the game um and when the third goal went in i decided to sort of lob one or two back um, which I probably shouldn't have done, um, but I did. Um, and it was at the stage that the, this big steel gate was just getting rattled for fun. And I'm thinking, there's no way they can push that gate through. But there was only this, it was like this elderly gentleman who was a steward at the time. And I'm thinking, blimey, if they do get this gate through, this is not going to do much. Um, and the game was still going on at the time. And then I could just... The, the gate there was just a bit of a hush around the stadium, and then I've turned around, and obviously the gates come. The gates been opened, um, but I think naturally you, and the game was going on, so I felt I was in. I was I didn't want to leave the pitch because obviously the game was still being played, and I was just hoping that they would sort of get off the pitch or they would go elsewhere or you know stewards would come on and stop it. But it didn't quite work out like that. I ended up being confronted by two. Uh, Two fellas, one obviously slightly more intoxicated than the other, but both physically um, ready to sort of have a punch up, if you like. Um, yeah. And it just so happened that I've defended myself as best as I could. Um, one of them's ended up on the floor, and the other one's ended up sort of backpedalling. So I kind of done as much as I could have done, I suppose, for given given the, the time and the circumstances. Um, but after that, I mean, it was pretty incredible. I mean. I was John Marie Path, who was in the team of the World Cup. I think it may have been in the, not sure, it may have been the 86 World Cup. I'm not sure what World Cup it was. But Jean Marie Path was in the team of the year for the World Cup and he had a fly on the wall documentary. 
um, and I was invited to his house and I was on talk shows. Um, I was on, I, I was on uh, like Canal Plus, almost like the match of the day. So the publicity really did grow from the back of that. I mean, I've got a lot of really positive press um, from supporters, fellow supporters, um, up and down sort of the leagues from sort of grassroots over there up until the top flight, just saying that that was definitely the right thing to have done. Uh, and I still stand by that. And I would stand by any goalkeeper that, that, that stood and defended himself um, because I think mean, it's absolutely wrong that anyone enters a field of play at any at any time because it's just it's the wrong thing to do. But I mean, the FA came down quite strong on the team, but they also they, they said it was they didn't want me to play in the return leg at Antwerp, obviously because it would due to obviously the, the potential trouble that we could get off the back of it. But I also took the stance that no, that that was that would be wrong for me not to do that because you, you then almost let them win. I actually was looking forward to the game so much because I knew the atmosphere would be it would be red hot and I wanted to play in it. So I end up I end up playing in the game. I think we may have got beat one 0 on the day, but Steve Rowley came to the game. But but on the back of that, what happened was that there were so many other clubs that realised that I was on loan from Arsenal. I was only sort of nineteen at the time, uh, and I was playing in the Belgian top flight. And I was playing week in week out. So it did grab the attention of a lot of other clubs and a lot of other coaches, which obviously for, for lots of footballing reasons and ended up being a real positive for myself. But, but fortunately enough at the time, I didn't really get back here a great deal. Obviously Arsenal had contacted me. I spoke to the gaffer, I spoke to Arsene after the incident and he was basically just wanted to make sure that my, you know, my wellbeing and my safety was, was obviously paramount to him. And, and I was happy with, with staying over there, which I was. So yeah, it was only things you look back on and my kids have seen it now. My kids think it's great. Yeah, well, it's as I say, don't don't get forgotten when you're out on loan, and you made sure you you weren't forgotten when you were in Belgium. So, and then you came back, and then you were promoted into the first team squad for the start of the o three o four season um, with Jens and Stuart Taylor and Rami Shaban. I know Rami and Stuart were injured at the time, weren't they? But there's four of you there. Um, but that must have been a big step for you to to move from the youth end of the training ground for the way it is set up at Arsenal for those who don't know you you almost move across the building and it's like a a physical promotion as well as one that you know just mentally yeah no obviously a huge huge step but you know had I not gone to Belgium the the previous year and prepared myself for for such a jump you know there's no doubt the club would have got someone else in who was who was probably more experienced so you know it was an absolute blessing I went when I did and came back with the experience I've managed to get because I think that the gaffer could trust me more so at that stage and probably he would have done sort of previously if I had I not gone out on loan. Um, but I also remember having a very good pre-season, that pre-season when I came back, because I was sort of brimming with confidence. Um, I had a lot more self-belief, um, believe it or not, which is which is saying something. But yeah, even more so. And I actually felt as though I was I was sort of ready to, to push Rami and Stewie. Uh, whereas before I didn't think I was probably in a position to do that because I wasn't as experienced. I probably wasn't as good technically as or tactically as either of them. Um, but I remember coming back that pre-season and I, and I felt in a really good place and I just felt like I needed to play some games to to sort of prove that I was capable of of testing sort of the other two. Certainly not Jens, but, but certainly getting closer to where I was. Um, and it just so happens in football, you know, things happen and you get opportunities and and I did get an opportunity and I was travelling with the first team, as you know, week in, week out. And I was working with the ends. Uh, I mean, the biggest responsibility I felt as a number two that season you know, wasn't just 
the likelihood of me potentially coming on and replacing Jens at some stage or uh, Jens is a bit of a firework. Jens could turn around and chin someone and you could end up playing for three games because, you know, <laughs> that's how Jens was. It was, like a, it was like a time bomb. So you'd be sitting on the bench and every every time the ball went near the goal, you'd be panicking because you're thinking, Jens is he's going to do something. He's going to do something here and I'll be on. So you can never quite relax when you was on the bench, but, but it was before games because you've got to remember, we didn't have a goalkeeping coach that travelled to any games. So every home game and every away game that season, it was, you know, the responsibility fell on myself to make sure Jens was ready to, to perform. And, and that's, you know, that's not easy. You know, I'm not playing, which I, I, I completely understand. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I kind of get on with that job. But, but my role then took, took, took a different turn on the match day. It was now my responsibility to make sure that he was ready to play uh, and in a good place mentally to, to perform. So And to put that into perspective, just sorry, just to, to butt in, but Jens Lehmann, of all the goalkeepers' preparations, was quite well as unique, wasn't it? And so if you get that wrong, because yeah. he had a, he had all sorts of routines that he liked to do and very particular yeah. about his warm up. Yeah. Um yeah. and I and I know you got on very well because and partly because you knew what he wanted to do before games. And as you say, you were almost like a coach for those for those warm-ups for him um how did that how did that work out how did he tell you what he wanted to do or yeah you... well I, no I knew I knew I knew probably 95% of what his warm-up consisted of um but I'd also know if I got it wrong he'd let me know there was no there was no two ways about that if there was a ball that I slightly sort of miscued or one wasn't quite hard enough he would definitely let me know but but I didn't mind that because he had standards and he he knew what he wanted uh, and it was down to me to obviously to, to give that to him and you know and you know nine times out of ten I'd say that I'd, I'd probably got it spot on for him um and I think the really the, the reason we also had a very good relationship was because and this is me being very honest Jens always knew and I always knew that I was never going to overtake Jens I always knew that I wasn't going to play on Saturday if Jens was fit which was absolutely fine because he was one of the best goalkeepers if not the best in the league uh, that season so I was quite content on playing second fiddle but I also needed to make sure that I was ready to play if I need, you know, I was called upon, um, and I think sometimes that can make the relationship slightly easier. You know, if you're competing with somebody that is desperate to play and wants you to fail and isn't quite committed to getting you ready and getting you right to play on a Saturday, then I think there will be issues and there, and sort of there will be sort of personalities will conflict and you know each has got their own individual sort of you know needs and wants to you know on a weekend and and some aren't happy to sit on the bench and some sort of want to go and speak to the manager and it, it can cause a bit of friction and that never happened that season I was it was all about the team I was never about me it never would have been it was always about getting Jens right and making sure that that he was um that he was ready to go and perform and you know looking back on that season you look back and he didn't make many mistakes I've got to say no he didn't no I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, we'll, we'll move a bit onto, onto that season in a bit, but at the start of that season is when you made your, your first team debut. As you said, you'd been traveling with the first team for... Premier League games. I think you were in the squad for every single Champions League game that season, but it was the League Cup, the Carling Cup, as it was then, that was your competition. Um, and your debut, you were 22, um, is an eventful game. And But before we get onto the details, just tell us a bit about how you found out you'll be making your Arsenal first team debut and what emotions you were feeling at the time. Yeah, I remember sort of the build up to the week. Obviously, you, it was me and a number of other young lads, you know, David Bentley, uh, Quincy, and Sesk. And, one or two others at I think Ryan Smith as well that we were we were kind of hoping we were going to play. We knew obviously at the, at the time that, that the league was certainly a priority, and we were in a number of cup, cup competitions. So we always thought we'd have a chance. But then I remember getting uh, that we were walking in from training one day, and Arsenal just sort of pulled me to one side and said, "Look, we're, you know, you're going to play um, in in the cup. You know, I just wanted to let you know just to." So I'll give you the heads up and so you can plan and prepare as you, as you normally would. And I was like, okay, great. <clears throat> so then it's sort of like, doesn't really sink in. And it's not until you get back in the sort of the change room, you sit down and you, you start to get nervous straight away. I was like, oh my God, I'm actually going to play. But it was good because I think it gave me a bit of time to to clear my head, clear my mind, get yeah. things sorted out, i.e. let mum and dad know, get tickets sorted out. And then you can actually put your, put your mind on the game rather than rushing around the day before. Um, yeah, because there is that stress as well of getting. You know, you've yeah. got so many. You've been. You're an Arsenal man. You've got Arsenal yeah. friends and family. How well, many tickets did you have to sort out? Well, it's funny because obviously we were still in the pub at the time, um, and we had free. We had free coach loads, like thirty odd seaters, <laughs> that went to the game, um, all from the pub. Or obviously we had t-shirts made up. We had flags. My oh, mum yeah. and dad went mad. Yeah, my mum's a. Yeah. She's a paddy, and she loves her football and. She loves the whole idea of getting the family and friends together for any occasion possible, let alone something like this. So, yeah, yeah I'd say there was close on to 100 people that went to the game. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt, because everyone came back to the pub after. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a really special occasion. I must say it was obviously the what. The way it, the way it ended was always a bit of a fairy tale, really. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, let's just let's just look at that game then, because it's against Rotherham, wasn't it, in, in at Highbury, of course, yeah. in the Carling Cup first third round. Um, yeah. There was a few debutants, as you said, not not least Cesc Fabregas, El Clichy also played in that yeah, game. But there's right. some experienced players. Did that help you as well? I mean, Canoe, Wiltord, Edu, yeah. they all started. Did that did that help you? And did Definitely. did anyone take you under their wing? Definitely. Um, I think just having I think just having their presence in the changing room was was massive. Just before the game, you could see they just didn't change. Obviously, for them, it was I played in World Cups and played in, you know, in huge games in derbies and stuff like that. So they, you know, they could have quite easily have took their foot off the pedal and kind of just sort of, you know, not took it as seriously as probably what we were going to, because obviously it was a bit, it was a step down in competition from probably what they were, what they wanted to play in. 
but not one of them, not one of them took it lightly. They all prepared properly. <clears throat> they sort of helped us in and around the change room on a day in the lead up to the game. Um, but you know, when you've got when you've got you know Sylvan and Carnu and they're doing there and and you know and others, it it really does help um, because it's just. It's nice to turn around, you know, if you if you need if you need advice or you needed a bit of help, you know, you knew that you could talk to these players because they were they were just they were brilliant with the young players, they really were. And and the game itself, do you remember the a first course, save or anything? Yeah, oh, well, it's this is crazy. So it was my f- obviously first game at Highbury, so I've, I've got new gloves, and um, I w- I thought I'd save them for the game. So you you, you shouldn't wear new gloves straight out of the packet it's just um it's just common knowledge really for goalies you, you shouldn't do it especially if it's especially if it's wet so i've worn the gloves the previous day and they felt absolutely fine and then i wore another glo- set of gloves for the warm-up and then i put the gloves that i prepped the day before for the for for match day and i remember being i remember being out there and i bring a ball out with me and i could not they were like a bar of soap it was like the gloves i'm like oh my god what have i done i've put the wrong gloves on so i actually couldn't hold a thing and i was a bag of nerves i was a nervous wreck thinking if someone's gonna have a shot it's gonna go straight through my hands and i'm thinking you just to have that negativity was like i don't know i think someone's had a shot quite early on and i've made a pretty decent save to be fair and i think i've held it and I think after that, it just put my mind at rest. But I'd gone out there and I was an absolute bag of nerves. I was panicking, thinking, oh my God, this is all I need. I've got useless gloves on. It's like holding a bar of soap and someone hits one from however far out. It's, you know, it's, I'm going to make a boo-boo. But, but fortunately enough, the first one settled my nerves. I caught it and I, I combed for a cross and I kicked the ball relatively well. Um, and, you know, looking back on the game, which I've, which I've done on a number of occasions with my, with my children, um, it's a little bit grainy, I must say. The, uh, it's not quite watching HD, <laughs> um, but, yeah, we've watched it back in the past. And, yeah, I actually played really well in the game. Um, yeah, you're seconds away from a clean sheet. I know, you? yeah. But you think the dream's over. You think debut yeah. clean sheet, played really well. But it just, it's, it's incredible the way it sort of, it, it, it it sort of ends and then Darren Byfield scored a goal it was a cutback um, goes to extra time and then you're thinking right if the biggest thing for me was going through because I wanted to play another game because you know chances were if we got knocked out of the cup at that stage I wouldn't actually I probably wouldn't play many more games that season unless there was you know going to be injury so I was desperate to, to, to obviously to perform anyway but for us to keep winning games so we could sort of you know get get through as far as we could and then it obviously went to extra time and sort of stayed. They did have a, they did have, they did have their goalie sent off in extra time, didn't they? Mike Pollock got sent off and yep. Gary Montgomery went in goal, um, who I knew from when he was at Coventry beforehand. So, yeah, and then obviously, you know, it goes to penalties. And then I, I went from sort of that anxious nervousness to excitement because I'm thinking, right, if I can save a penalty on my debut, that's going to be unbelievable. Like, that will live with me forever. You know, sort of now, regardless if we win or lose, I've got to save a penalty at Highbury on my debut. I have to do that. And then, obviously, it went on. It was, I saved one. So, I was like, well, I'm over the moon with that. And then, it obviously, it kept going because yeah. I kept scoring. We kept scoring. Um, and you look back at the penalties and there weren't many bad penalties, to be fair. I mean, the one I saved was a poor penalty. But, but actually, the ones that go in, you start to question, you know, what am I doing wrong here? Because, obviously, we all know what the score finished. It was sort of, it was sort of getting out of hand. I thought, I've got to save another one here. And then I remember and they were pointing at me to take one. And I'm thinking, 
what? Because I think someone must have gone off or someone couldn't take one in injury uh, in extra time uh, or when it came to penalties. So obviously they were calling me forward to then take one. So now I'm sort of stepping up to the ball and you're thinking, blimey, I could score, save one and go through. It's going to be like, it's going to be a dream. So obviously I've ended up scoring one as well. Took a very good penalty and stuck it in the side and him. And then Sylvan ended up, um, I think they scored the next one and Sylvan scored. So, so we went through nine, eight winners on penalties, and it's not really until you look back at that and you think, "Blimey, you know, you couldn't, have, you just couldn't have put a better script together if you tried." That is incredible. That is the only penalty shootout ever at Highbury as well. Um, I've just got it in front of me. It was nine, eight to Arsenal um, after whatever eleven penalties each, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, and you. you you scored one and then that's when you saved one as well just after that. So you must have had the adrenaline running just after you scored it. Um, just to, just sum up those emotions then, that, that the final whistle. I just, you know, well, you just never get that back. You know, then, you know what you experience on a day like that, I think you could chase that for 20 years in football and, and never quite, you know, replicate that evening. You know, other players have been very fortunate to, to have played in, you know, Champions League finals and, and win, you know, win massive games like that and you know they'll never get that back but for me it was on a <clears throat> it was on a smaller scale you know it was in the Carling Cup yeah it was at Highbury which is a very special place to me uh, and a, you know a, and a number of Arsenal fans but for it to finish the way it did was something that you know you you look back on in your career and think blimey that was that was something very very special and that was that that's what being a footballer was all about for me that, that was the dream you know experiencing nights like that was you know were, were very very special and it stood you in good stead because, as you said, you, you stayed in the first team squad for the league games, and and famously you're on the bench for the the title clincher at White Hart Lane. Um, so just to be in and around the team that day must have been well. What, what a day in the history of the club. What what are your memories of that day? Yeah, so the, I I remember the drive in. I mean, the week the, the build up to the games stayed pretty much you know the same. I mean, one thing with the, with the Gaffrey, he wanted he wanted a constant and he wanted some consistency. It wasn't going to change just because it was going to be White Hart Lane and it was going to be a title decider. It was it was just we tried to keep everything pretty much the same. But I mean, I'm re- I remember the drive in, and I remember objects getting thrown at the bus and windows being smashed at the back. Um, I remember there being loads of uh, police surveillance on top of buildings and stuff like that on the way in. So it was, I mean, the atmosphere was it was brewing and it was. You know, it was ready to sort of go off at any stage, but but with a group like the one we had, they sort of thrived off that. That was like, you know, that's what gets them up for games. Not that they need to get up for games, but but putting them in into a, a cauldron like that is something that they really did thrive off. And I just remember getting to the stadium, and obviously the game sort of sort of, sort of playing itself out really. But I just remember, you know, the Arsenal fans up in the corner um, singing, shouting, dancing. It was just. It was it was unbelievable. I mean, there was beers in the changing room, and there was pictures being taken up. I can't imagine if we had had picture phones back then. I mean, people, you, you look now, and it, you know, there's a there's a selfie and there's a picture after you know after a group win, you know, from some players. You know, they go Sparta at Moscow, they win a group game, and they take pictures. I mean, we've gone to White Lane and won the title, and I'll be honest with you, I've got about ten pictures from the day that Stuart had taken at the time. So. But you don't need the pictures. I mean, it's lovely to look back on stuff, but you've you've got the memories, and they'll you know so they'll never be taken away. And then after that, I remember we had the PFA Awards that evening um, in Central London, and obviously we were slightly late, and we went. There was a number of first team lads that went, <clears throat> and I just remember 
going back to the training ground, uh, putting our suit on, and we were all sort of jumped in taxis to to get up to the PFA awards at the time. And um, I remember we were running slightly late. I mean, listen, I'm in I'm in cloud nine here. We've we've just won the title white lane. Um, you know, dressed up to the nines and walking in with Thierry Omri, Ashley Cole, and Patrick Vieira and whoever else. And I'm thinking, blimey, this is like to be in this invite to be in this crowd, to be, you know, in this company is is very, very special. And probably at the time not something I, I probably realised until sort of later on really that you're actually you know, your you, your teammates and you're becoming quite close to, to these world superstars. And I remember we walked in and everyone was sitting down when we walked in and then next minute, every single person stood on their feet and gave us a round of applause when we walked in. And that sort of like makes the hair stands up on the back of my neck when you, you know, when you talk about the whole, every, everything stopped for us because of what we had just done and what we had achieved. And I think that was a real nice way to sort of cap the day off you know, just to get that recognition, certainly not so much for me, but for the players to be recognised as, you know, as 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 legends and, and as stars on the day, which which I think they, you know, very much deserved. Were you sitting on the bench though thinking, because you mentioned earlier that Jens could go at any minute, could get sent off or, you know, could get injured or whatever. Were you were you wanting, was there part of you saying, I, look, I want to come on? Or, was, or were you thinking, or were you thinking, I don't want to because I could be the one responsible for losing this unbeaten run? Definitely crossed my mind. I remember warming up twice. Um, and Jens was, he, he was having an issue, uh, I think, early on up at Anfield. <clears throat> and he had signalled to the bench. And I'm thinking, oh my God, here we go. It was about 10, 15 minutes in. Um, and uh, I think Gary said, look, Stacky, you better go and keep yourself warm. I'm thinking, oh no, here we go. I'm going to have to come on here. What about if I make a ricket? And I thought, no, you know, no, it's not. What about if I have a weldy? What about if we win the game and have a blinder? You have to try and be sort of. You have to set your mindset really positively because if you don't, then the chances are you will go on and you will you will make a ricket. So, but I always knew with Jens that he was he's a German, isn't he? He's, he's he wants to play in the big games. He wants to play every game, <clears throat> and it would take a hell of a lot to for him not to have played. And it's funny because he never came off in any game that year. Um, he was fit for every league game, and at the end of the league, at the end of the season, Martin Keown had a testimonial at Highbury against an England eleven. And what did Jens do? He done his hamstring in the warm up. So I've waited a whole season to play for Arsenal in the Premier League, and he's never come off, and he's never missed a game. So we're playing in Martin Keown's testimonial, and Jens comes in halfway through the warm up and says, "I can't play. I've done my hamstring." I thought, what? <laughs> you can't do that. You can't let me play in the testimonials and you play in the league game. That's not fair. Have you um, spoken to many of your, or you kept in touch with many of the players from the, the Arsenal youth days? And I was just wondering if they've had this, because diff- they're all, you know, all of a similar age coming to the time when your playing career comes to an end. It's a really difficult thing for a player to mentally adapt to, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. It can be tough. It does throw up some challenges, I've got to say. Um, I speak to I speak to uh, Jay Boffer and I speak to Steve Sidwell. I speak to Ben Shawley, Halsey, um, uh, David Noble. I mean, I do speak to to pretty much. We've got a WhatsApp group and stuff like that, so we do stay in touch. But everyone goes in their own. You know, some are, some have got their own fencing company, some are cab drivers. Um, so yeah, we've all we've all sort of gone in different directions, but but all doing actually all doing okay. Well, yeah, in 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 that regard, we're all doing we're all doing pretty well. Uh, with our life outside of football and after football, to be honest, everyone's got families now, and 
you, you tend to find something you tend to find something to to, to get into and you know and, and to sort of get on with so yeah I'm, I must say it's it, it does throw up some challenges and I think you've got to be mentally tough you've got to have a have a good network around you good support good family understanding family because it can take you know it can take a bit of time to to, to make that adjustment so did you start to think about retirement were you doing your your coaching badges had you always wanted to go into coaching well I was always planning I mean I started doing my coaching badges when I was up in Scotland um sort of when I was in my mid-20s and <clears throat> I always felt I had a lot I had quite a lot of time on my hand because socially I had a lot of friends here and you know while I was in Scotland I I, I wanted to try and find something I was going to sort of give me a little bit of focus and drive rather than just sort of wasting time which I'd done before for too many years um so I started obviously my development as a coach and took that really seriously um and eventually when I left Hibs I sort of came back down and you know, I had my goalkeeping A license and my UA for B uh, and I've obviously since gone on to do my youth modules and I've done a degree and I've also got my outfield A license as well so I've tried to continue that learning really it's been a bit of a pattern for me um over the years try and stay engaged outside of football because I've not been the best when I've had spare time to be honest so I've tried to I've tried to find something that's going to sort of keep me engaged and keep learning so I think the biggest thing for me was just to, to you know to, to plan uh, and, and to complete as many courses as I possibly could because when opportunities would arise I needed to make sure I was ready. Thanks a lot for your time today, Graham. That was great. And we look forward to seeing you back at Emirates Stadium soon. At home, if you're enjoying these, remember that you can leave a, a review and a rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any episodes. So until next time, thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.